Today I'm reading uh, Luke 19, 29 to 44. As he approached, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead and you, and you, and you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead and went and found it, just as he had told them. As, the, as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came to, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you even, if you, even you had only known one on this day, what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, I have the great pleasure of welcoming the Reverend Dr. Esther Akalatsi, who will be preaching for us. Esther is the Associate Pref Professor of Pastoral Theology and Intercultural Studies at Knox College, and her most recent book just came out and was, is entitled Powers, Principalities, and the Spirit, Biblical Realism in Africa and the West. And that book is in the Knox Library. So when you enjoy Esther's sermon today and feel like I want to hear more of what this woman is saying and doing in the world, check out her book from the library. That'd be a great thing to do. She's also been a great friend to our church in sharing her gifts of preaching in the past and singing very recently as well. So Esther, welcome, and thank you for being with us today. But I have recently uh, relocated to Newmarket and very happy to be here again. This is the beginning of what we call Holy Week and today is Palm Sunday. If we didn't know, the children have shown us. And this is the day we shout and ask God to save us in the highest, to rescue us in the uttermost. Hosanna 
save us, O Lord. This is the week Jesus puts all his energy into his last act as a human on earth. He is getting ready to die. If we know nothing at all about death and dying, we know this. When people are getting ready to die, what they pay attention to is what is most important to them. If the dying are close relatives and friends, we hang on to the last words they whisper. And if they leave instructions, we try to obey them. And if they make requests, we try to fulfill them. What people do when they know they are about to die seems to matter more than what they have done in all their life put together. So we do well to mark the last week of Jesus on earth. He is heading to his death. And even as Easter people, we return to this week we call holy because each moment holds significance. Death is in the air. Its messengers and henchmen are sniffing around. But Jesus pays them no mind. He has work to do concerning you. Shall we pray? Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, that you open our eyes, that we may see how pure, how fair, 
and how utterly wonderful you are. That even in our sorrow, you will cause our hearts to sing in joy and in love. In your name we pray. Amen. Many years ago, I was a chaplain in a hospital in New Jersey. It was a time of the AIDS pandemic. Many came to die. Many died alone because of the stigma that was attached to the disease. I sat with a young man who died old, smelling of his excrement. His room had a small window that overlooked an alley with a graffiti disfigured wall, and I kid you not, I saw through the window just above a dumpster, Golgotha with three crosses. In the moment it takes you to blink, it was gone. 25 years ago, and I still see it. That is not all. There were mothers diagnosed with the ailment who had babies diagnosed with the ailment by separated by the bureaucracy of all hospitals into ICU, PICU, NICU. Between the various chaplains, we set up a messenger service carrying news back and forth. The need of the mothers, the one prayer request on their heart was for their infants to precede them in death. They were holding on to bare threads of life and holding death in a gridlock until, until. There was beauty and agony fused in that moment of waiting and doing the work on behalf of what they loved the most. There is no love like a mother's love. That is until you stumble by grace upon the love of God for his creatures, especially his human ones. In our reading today, we observe the very heart of God in Jesus' sorrow over Jerusalem and its inhabitants. This was the week when the work of redemption and the painful cost was to begin. And Jesus pauses in that work to feel the pain of his people. Jesus brackets his own impending suffering and death. He reaches and feels the impending sorrow and pain of his people. This was not the empathetic pain people feel for one another. When you cry with sorrow for another because you yourself have experienced similar distress. In that moment, perhaps you imagine how you would feel if a familiar, a similar mishap drops in your lap. This is not the kind of sorrow and compassion Jesus displays. His was totally focused outwards, nothing inward. We can believe that because he is not like us, even though he is human. This is God walking among us.
It is in Jesus' nature to set himself aside and focus on his creatures. And this is not new. We can trust that Jerusalem was on his mind as we were all the way to Calvary. We know this because it showed in every interaction with those he reached out and touched. Many times he was risking his reputation and his life when he reached out to heal, to raise the dead, and to rebuke the religious rulers who were making it impossible for people to live fully into the life of joy God has prepared for them. Do you remember the story of the Garazin demoniac? Perhaps people had forgotten his name and no one had bothered to ask him his name in a long time. Jesus allows him to name himself again and so come into himself. Then there was the widow of Nain whose only son was on the way to the grave. Jesus says, not this time death, and he reaches out and touches the dead body. Touching a dead body was a no-no in his day. Then there was a time before this final week when people could hear him moaning and groaning over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. That is the Lord of all creation lamenting Israel's inability to see how much he cares. And this is not some soppy feeling. You won't understand how deep and wide this compassion is until you come to terms with the fact that this one who is wailing over Jerusalem has a daddy who counts hair and dead sparrows. You combed your hair today. God counted. Friends, we know and have a God who factors into his economy what we might assume to be non-essentials when he does his daily budget for the world. Lisa, George, Jared. Imagine God with his pencil. Jesus' caring love was evident throughout that week. Not only was he weeping over Jerusalem and desiring to cover her and protect her from coming calamity, he was constantly on a war path with anything that obstructed people's path to God and the peace, the shalom, the total well-being God offers, head-to-toe protection, head-to-toe peace. In Matthew's account of this most holy week, not only does Jesus weep over Jerusalem, he goes on to do two distinct things prior to his lament. These were things that usually confuse us and portray him out of character. 
But those moments when you might think he was throwing a fit or tantrums, those moments indicate his care. The first significant thing he does that week is to curse the fig tree, if you remember. When the one who calls us to forgive everything and anything yells curses, I come from Ghana in the middle of the morning, you will hear women throwing eggs and cursing people who have stolen their whatever things. So in the morning when you wake up, you're trying to make sure you don't step in any cracked egg just in case the curse affects you. That is what you should imagine Jesus doing. The fig tree was in bloom. It was not the season for figs. Why was he looking for figs when it was not season for figs? Was he just looking for trouble or as the old saying goes, was trouble looking for him. I think trouble was looking for him. And here it is. What business has the fig tree to be showing off leaves out of season, if not to give the impression it had fruit? Full bloom means fruit, even if it is unripe. Ask the botanist among you after church. Pastor Max Lucado suggests that what ticked Jesus off was the fig tree was promising what it could not deliver. To have the appearance without the substance, to lie to those seeking nourishment, to tease with the fake as if real, that is what Jesus was angry at. By now you've guessed it was not about figs but about the religious leaders who kept giving the people false hope, parading falsehood as truth. Jesus, the embodiment of truth, could no longer take it. He had to stop it once and for all. The second thing he does that week is the cleansing of the temple. When he walks in and overturns the tables and opens the cages for the animals, to get out. This was not an angry outburst. John tells us that he had gone into the temple the night before and looked around, went home, slept on it, and came and gave it what it deserved. All the thieving ways of the leadership of those who are to make life easy for the people had to be overturned and exposed. This is freedom house of worship, Jesus says, not bondage house of idolatry. So see how in that week, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem and by extension the whole world, including us. He does something that causes the people most significant distress. In these two simple acts, he puts the world powers and all the lie-mongering leaders on notice about his people, his Jerusalem, his beloved, and that includes you. He doesn't only cry heart-wrenching sobs 
but he gets angry on your behalf and gets personal and practical in his response to your situation. He is on a rampage, threatening and nullifying the things that threaten to burden you and snuff life out of you. This is what he means when he says to his disciples in John's portrait of him. My paraphrase. The world has spread a mat of trouble for you to lie in. Jesus says, call their bluff. Be my guest. You may safely lie down. I have robbed the world of its ability to undo you. Its worst will still be like child's play. Friends, this is hallelujah moment. And what Jesus did and said is not a limited one-time offer. God is not like that. This is forever and a day promise. Everything we read in scripture says God is in the compassion business. In fact, the story around this week and the celebration of the Passover is about a God who sees the oppression of a migrant group in a distant land where they had gone in search of sustenance. They were assumed to be less than human and treated as such. And we know the story which we call Exodus. And we know God's response. God says, I have seen, I have heard, I have come down. God didn't hear with his ear. God heard all the discrimination and the pain and distress in God's very being. And so down God had to come in bodily form, from cradle to cross to grave. Always, God's compassion is personal, is practical, is targeted and particular, not generic. The deliverance from Egypt is just a token however big and vast that was, is just a token of God's deep compassion for his people. Friend, it doesn't matter what you're going through, what particular brand of suffering and sorrow assumes it has its name on you. Pain, sorrow, and even death have been put on notice about you. Jesus has used his body as buffer between you and the troubles of this world. This is not saying that we will no longer have troubles. We are saying that what we are bearing is just a little part of the bigger burden. The real weight goes to God. You know what happens if you went out into the fields with a toddler and you felled the tree together and brought it home? And the toddler says, you know, I just carried a tree. You know, 
friends, you're carrying toddler weight three. There's a story of a guy who was complaining, moaning about his troubles and deciding, God says, you, you, you get this chance. Here are the burdens of the whole world. Go pick the one you think is light enough and just, you know, go. So he walks into the throne room, looks around, and picks the smallest one. God says, turn it over. It had his name under it. You're carrying toddler size weight. I often think of Paul's words in Romans. He had come through any and every tribulation known to a person, and he proclaims without a shadow of a doubt a conviction that many of us know from experience walking with God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. They may try, but there's no contest. Tug of war, giant, and an ant, God has you covered, and he's not letting go. That is the truth. And this is another hallelujah moment. It means, if you like, you can thumb your nose at every hope-denying misadventure. Because God is sitting with you in that sorrow, and sorrowing with you, and fixing to make a way through it. It means you can say an emphatic no to every truth-distorting pronouncement about yourself, whether it's from other people or you yourself. You know how we do it? Call ourselves all kinds of things. You are loved by the Most High God. Whatever the situation of pain it is you're carrying, God, whose name is El Roy, the one who sees and who sees you has set a portion of grace aside for you to sustain you in that pain. You may be a migrant wondering how things are going to be with you and your family here and or back home. God has been there, my friend. Jesus was a refugee in Egypt and God himself Israel thought that he lived in their little tents in an ark. God himself, you could say, is a migrant God carried from place to place and knows what it means to pack and go at a moment's notice. God knows how, where to find you. Or perhaps you've lost someone and the world came crashing down on you. God knows the pain of losing someone. This Jesus sorrowing over Jerusalem, God's only begotten son, was on his way to his death. And God had a blow-by-blow -blow account of every painful moment before, before it started.
So we don't have to go through life with a stoic attitude, bluffing our way through pain and pretending it doesn't hurt. If you have, my friends, it's time to take a page out of Jesus' book to lament and to burst into gut-wrenching tears. Our God collects tears. So let the floodgates out. Forget the tellers of tall tales who ask you to tough it out and hold it in. Give your father the joy of comforting you. It doesn't matter if you brought the predicament on yourself. See, Jerusalem was at fault, and yet Jesus weeps over it. Don't give up on wayward children. Don't give up on yourself. God says, come. Come, find rest, find shelter in me. I got your back. And yet God is also looking for people who know this compassion to go out and stand in the gap with others and weep with those who are weeping and for those who can't weep anymore because they are too exhausted and too numbed by the pressures and pains of this world to feel their own pain. Go, feel for them. But my friends, if God can cry, you have to learn how to cry. And you can't join God and do this work unless you own your humanity. Unless you can tell Jesus where it hurts. Kids know how to do that, don't they? Mommy, mommy, mommy. And they can tell you exactly where. Be a kid again. Today, as we remember the entry into Jerusalem, as we recall the shouts of Hosanna, Lord, save. Bring all your cares. Bring all your broken pieces. Sit with God. Allow God to wash your eyes with tears that he fashioned just for those moments. That's what tears are for. See the joy and peace God is holding out to you from cleaned eyes. Let the floodgates out. Enjoy God's embrace and let God wipe away your tears. Then go in gladness and with quickened steps bring other people to this person who really is a hurt locker and a tear mopper. May you know that in your very being. Amen.